It's Monday the 10th of August 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. Now, my guest today is me. Interestingly enough, for the first time in the two-year history of this program, um, I'm on my own in the studio and there's a very good reason for that, um, which I will get into right now. Um, My booked guest had to cancel at the last moment, which is fine. It happens all the time. We have contingencies in place and they've always worked up until now. Uh, One of those contingencies is that I walk into the next room and grab a broadcast journalist from our newsroom. Um, But given the harsher COVID-19 restrictions in place in Iceland right now, which Ruv takes extremely seriously for obvious reasons um, as the national broadcasting company, The building here has been split into three different contagion uh, zones, one of which is the newsroom, and all the journalists are in there. My usual desk is in that area, but uh, for a variety of practical reasons, I've chosen to be outside of that area, and that means I have no contact with the journalists and cannot drag them into the studio with me today. So that put me uh, in an interesting position. Uh, So I casted around for other people, maybe to get on the telephone. That worked in one case. Uh, I managed to get a short interview lined up, um, but then we had a variety of technical gremlins, which, long and the short of it is anyway, without boring you, uh, it's just me today. That means we're probably going to have a shorter show than you're used to. At least I hope so. Otherwise, that means I've been talking far too much. Um, But I will do my best to keep you entertained for at least a few minutes. Um, And that is because... A lot has happened in the two weeks since The Week in Iceland last aired. For example, there's the news that unemployment figures at the start of August were about the same as at the start of July, uh, despite predictions of a big jump. And in very loosely connected news to that, uh, but also on a positive note, the tourism industry did better in July than it dared hope at the start of the summer. Talking of July, uh, the Met Office has confirmed what we already knew, and that is that it was a colder than normal month at the very peak of summer. But, despite this, the weather wasn't too bad anyway, for the most part. The President was sworn in for another four years in office on the 1st of August in a ceremony unlike any the Republic of Iceland has ever seen before. The drugs company Alvotec has signed a deal in the US described as one of the biggest any Icelandic company has ever made. And a man held since the start of February amid an international child abuse investigation has finally been tried and convicted in Iceland. All of this, however, has been superseded by a stream of stories connected to the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak in Iceland and the strengthened contagion prevention rules uh, that we hoped we'd seen the back of in spring, but alas, are back again, at least some of them. Um, So I think it's the best thing, the fairest thing, is certainly to start there. The news last week, or the Friday before last, um, was that at midday, the new rules came in. The assembly limit was going back down to 100 people. The two-metre rule was back with force. Um, That means holding a distance of two metres to anyone else, certainly outside of your household, um, in all public settings, and in situations where that wasn't possible. Face masks are uh, compulsory now in Iceland for the first time since COVID-19 began in early spring. That means anywhere where the two-metre rule is impossible, such as hair salons, public transport, um, beauty parlours, that sort of thing. 
Um, and then last week, it came out, obviously, people are having a hard time adjusting to getting back into these rules again, understandably, because uh, we've really been enjoying the freedoms that we've had back over the summer. But uh, that was not to be. And that has caused a variety of difficulties, certainly because this time around, back in the spring, there were harder rules than we have now, and that meant places were forced to close down. Certain places, any bars, for example, that didn't serve food had to close. That is not the case now. Nowhere is being told to shut down, but everywhere is being told to stick to the rules. And that's being done in a variety of different ways, and arguably in some places, not at all. That has been the problem. So the Trieke, the, um, the, the, the Troika, if you will, of civil protection chiefs in, in Iceland, they've been diligently bringing back their daily press conferences, um, which are welcome news. People like to be kept up to date and to, to hear what's going on um, straight from the horse's mouth, if you will. And their message has been very much that it is in all of our hands. The most important thing, even more important than having stronger rules, is what every single person in Iceland, visitor and resident, does on a daily basis. Uh, which has made the news over this weekend even more striking, uh, shall we say. Uh, police visited 24 bars and restaurants uh, in central Reykjavik on Saturday evening, 15 of which were found to not be doing enough to enforce the rules. Some of them um, allegedly were doing nothing at all <laughs> to enforce the rules. Um, the police chief, or yeah, the police chief on duty that night, uh, interviewed by Ruv, said that the off his officers hadn't felt comfortable to even enter some of the bars um, that they were going to visit because there were just too many people in there. As a result, as of yesterday, Sunday, the police have had permission to fine bar owners for breaking the rules and even close bars down if need be. They say that was, should we say, a, a, a last resort, something they didn't want to have to resort to, but um, something that has been sort of forced on them by people and by businesses that were not enforcing the rules. And from a personal point of view, I can say um, I, I went out to eat on, on Saturday um, and it was true. My word was it true. There was certain establishments that shall remain nameless. It was just like um, a year ago. There was, there was no difference. Lots of people crowding around watching sports on TV, crowding around the bar. I think that's the interesting thing. Even if they had have put the two-meter gap between all the tables, everyone still has to go to the bar and order. And you've got dozens of people there crowding up in very close proximity, touching shoulders. It is not two meters by any stretch of the imagination. The police hope that Saturday was the peak of that, shall we say, um, and that next weekend will be much better behaved, certainly because they now have the power to find these companies, and nothing talks louder than money, of course. Uh, and another thing, I was also, I went swimming yesterday, um, and I'm sure many of, many of you listening have, have had a similar experience, and there, there's very clearly marked signs. Uh, swimming pools, by the way, are limited to 50% of their registered capacity at the moment, um, which means only half the number of the maximum possible people can go in. 
They're also very diligently marking up how many people may be in each area. So each hot pot, for example, certainly at Lodatasleg, has a sign on it saying how many people are allowed to go in there. That was universally being ignored yesterday when I went there. Um, dozens of people in the steam room, at least 10 people in each hot pot where it says two. And the point is, if people had have been respecting these, these signs, these recommended maximum numbers, they couldn't have fitted in there. So there's a certain dichotomy there between um, the rules in place and the possibility people have to, to, to stand by them. Obviously, in the swimming pool, you can keep two metres away from other people. But as we all know about Iceland, going swimming isn't just about swimming. It's mostly about sitting in hot water. Uh, so there's certain kinks that need ironing out. Um, and the figures of new infections seem to be indicating that the peak hasn't been reached just yet. Although over the weekend, the, the latest figures we have, or at least had, uh, it is now gone 11, so yesterday's figures should be out. Um, but there were only three new cases diagnosed on Saturday, two of which in Vestmanayat, one in the Westfields, none in the capital region, uh, which is surprising since that has been the centre of the outbreak so far. Um, but we can expect over the next week probably to see quite a few more if these hunches from uh, life, daily life in the city are anything to go by. As it's been reported widely as well, the biggest spread of the virus at the moment is among young people. Uh, that's age 17 to 29. Um, and frankly, you can see why. The, the two-metre rule, the sanitising of the hands and things, it is proving more difficult to get back into for that age group, I think, um, than, than older people. Possibly, it's said, because they are least likely to get very sick and therefore perhaps less worried about it. Um, but of course, they can easily spread the, the infection to at-risk at risk groups. Talking of, um, until last week, or during last week, actually, two, so two weeks ago... <laughs> The first person since the spring was taken to hospital with COVID-19 in Iceland. That was a big story. He was then released, which is good. But now we have two people in hospital again. Uh, one of them is a man in his 80s who is, by all accounts, not seriously ill, uh, but is in hospital. And the other one is very ill. He's on intensive in intensive care on a ventilator, and he's only about the age of 30. So... The notion that young people don't get very sick is not always true. Uh, it's, a, it's a very strange virus like that. It can affect people in very different ways, and it isn't discriminatory by age at all. So, moving on. Um, where shall we go next? Maybe we'll give COVID a rest now. People have been banging on about that for long enough uh, and I'm sure sure that isn't the last we will be hearing of it on this program in fact um, oh actually one last thing though um, on a perhaps positive note um, Decode Genetics Islandska Erdgreningar um, have been studying antibodies as we know very well and their results so far suggest that these antibodies do not disappear quickly 
um, in people that are recovering or have recovered from the coronavirus. This is not necessarily a given. There, there have been a lot of suspicions, a lot of questions going around uh, in the whole world of how long this protection against the virus lasts. Um, and Kaori Stefansson, the CEO and founder of Decode Genetics, has now said that in Iceland, at least, uh, there is no evidence that that immunity, that protection against infection uh, disappears quickly, which is great news. Um, and that is coming from a from a uh, a pool of 30,000 people that they've been that they have done this uh, antibody testing on. Obviously, not all of those 30,000 have had the infection. Um, but of the ones who have, they they have concluded so far um, that the protection is at least enduring. And that's not to say permanent, um, but it's not disappearing quickly. And that, of course, is a very positive news. And according to Kaori, I think I quote him here, he says, um, news or speculation that the antibodies disappear quickly um, has been based on testing a very few individuals, he says. We, on the other hand, are testing a very large number of people and the results so far are definitive. There we go. What's next? Interest. Oh, yeah, this was an interesting story. There was a, a major power cut in North Iceland uh, last week. The whole of the Eyjafjörður region went out. Boom. And that was on the 5th which was last Wednesday. So in the, in the late morning, the whole region went out. That's all of Akureyri, um, all the way up to Dalvik. And it was, yeah, what happened? There was um, usual troubles, should we say. Troubles happen um, at the, at the uh, substation above Akureyri, up in the hills. Engineers went to have a look. And they somehow made a mistake. It caused a short circuit, which put the whole region without power. One person was injured by that. Uh, luckily, though, because you can imagine these enormous voltages going through there, he was rushed to hospital and escaped uh, without any serious injury at all, which was fantastic news. And by the afternoon, the electric was back and, and, and no harm done, except apparently for the uh, milk, the dairy factory in Akureyri, there was quite some quite some disruption to production there. And, and no doubt at other industries, it's always very disruptive when industries lose power in the middle of doing important work. Um, and uh, But one case that did come up was, yeah, the, 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 the dairy in Akureyri had some disruption to production but the moral of that story is no one was seriously hurt uh, but it was human error that caused that where next yes the weather news from the met office um, 18 or 19 of the past 20 julys in iceland were warmer than this july or to put it another way this was the second or third coldest in 20 years a sip of water there um, so that means the average July temperature across the whole month was 10.7 degrees in Reykjavik, which is 1.3 degrees lower than average. And the interestingly part here is it the average temperature in the same month last year, which a lot of people will remember, will remember 
um, was very warm. Last summer was glorious. Uh, the average temperature then was 13.4 degrees. And so 10.7, 13.4, that's a big difference. Well, when we talk about like a, a peak daily temperature, three degrees here and there, you can often barely feel it. Um, but in an average monthly temperature, three degrees is significant. And my word, it was a little chilly. Um, but on the other hand, the weather conditions in the month were almost entirely average. The number of sunshine hours was, if anything, a little higher than average. And wind conditions across the whole country were around average for July as well. Despite that, there were two <laughs> quite prominent and, and very well reported uh, orange weather warnings in the month of July, um, which the north, the Westfield specifically, certainly noticed in the middle of the month with um, lashing winds and, and, and mudslides and even some snow on the mountains. So it was an interesting month of July, uh, weather-wise. Um, and obviously the tourism industry would have been hoping for a glorious month of July um, to, to get people out of the city and onto the countryside. But that happened anyway, as we will discuss in a moment. Uh, but before that, there was that unemployment story. Fewer people than expected applied for unemployment benefits at the start of this month. Um, and the reason they were expecting this big jump in the start of, uh, start of August was, of course, because so many people were handed their notice in, in late April. And they have three months. Uh, what's the word? Three months notice. So that's May, June, July, end of July. And it was expected that most of those people would just transfer straight onto unemployment benefits. And that really didn't happen, which was interesting. Uh, overall, the national unemployment rate this month is about 7.3, 7.4%, which is the same as it was last month um, and less than predicted. Uh, so that seems to suggest either that people were giving people who were laid off in April, uh, kept their jobs, or they found new jobs. Um, interest, and it's difficult to say which way it went or in, in what proportion that was. Clearly, the good tr tourism summer has helped, um, and, and that is now winding down. And the autumn could very well be more difficult for the industry. But the question is, how have they, have they tidied themselves over enough um, to make the long term look better. And that is something we really kind of answer at this time. Also, interestingly as well, because uh, there was a, a suspicion that these top-up benefits, which you've probably heard about, um, which was where the government takes on a proportion of the wage bill, basically, for, for companies who are working in a reduced state and the companies just pay a part of people's wages. So back in April and May, 30,000 people applied for these top-up benefits um, in each of those months while they were on reduced hours. And now it's only three to three and a half thousand people. So that has gone down massively. It's only 10% of what it was. Um, and it seems that those people are having their hours at their employers increased again, rather than being laid off and, and ending on unemployment benefit, which again, very good news. Um, 
so that's the situation there at the moment, which is interesting. Click, click, click on the computer. Oh, this is where I was going with next, yes. Um, the tourism figures. So Icelandic tourists, of course, were encouraged to travel the country this summer, and people have taken that to heart, mostly because, partly because, there hasn't been much international travel to do, um, and partly because of this sort of almost air of responsibility, you know. Um, we need to do this to help, to help the economy, to help the country, and so we will, and go out and enjoy the country. And it's been such a, such a pleasure and a privilege to do so uh, when it's a little bit less crowded. You get to see things, maybe have a whole vista, a whole landscape to yourself uh, for a while, and it's been, it's been very glorious in that respect. And it's helped. Um, according to the director of the Icelandic Tourist Board, um, the situation in the tourism industry in July was better than they could ever have hoped for, um, partly in a large part due to Icelandic tourists, but also because of Danish and German tourists and others, um, but all European, because the country remains closed to people from outside the Schengen area. That includes Americans, um, who are traditionally the biggest, most, um, what should we say, people that spend the most money uh, across the course of a year, and they're completely absent at the moment, and no sign of when they will be back again as well. Um, sorely missed. British tourists as well. Obviously, British tourists are allowed into Iceland and are coming, um, but in, in, in far lower numbers. And in the summer, in the peak summer time, that isn't necessarily a problem because the British tourists congregate, if you will, in the calendar, in the low season. Um, for whatever reason it is, I think it's got something to do with Groupon, actually, um, and other discounts, discount services. British tourists flock to Iceland in the winter for long weekend breaks um, to see the Northern Lights, that sort of thing. And while they are here all year round, as a, as a proportion of the total numbers, they are by far the most important in the autumn, the winter, and the early spring. So that's going to be interesting this year as well. Um, whether their numbers go up or, or not, it seems somewhat unlikely um, at the moment. So that is a little bit of an alarm bell for the tourism industry on the horizon as well. Um, yes, as that says here in, in the article I'm reading from. Um, so it's kind of a wait and see. But what is interesting is how the tourism industry ha responds to their better fortunes in July and, and in the summer so far as a whole, and and what they do with that, how they how they make the hay while the sun has been shining, so to speak, um, and and make plans to tide themselves over. It's uh, it's been an opportunity they didn't expect to have when we look back to April, for example, or the dark days of April, May, even March. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely been positive news for them. Of course, there comes with a risk. The more foreign tourists you have in, at least on paper, the more chance you have of bringing COVID-19 into the country. Um, 
And that has been a very much of a calculated risk on the part of the authorities. We will find out more this week on changes that may be made uh, on or before the 14th of August. Uh, but at the moment, in interviews with uh, the civil protection chiefs, they've been saying it's not necessarily going to be the right thing to, to bring the uh, assembly limit down or to change the border testing regulations. They may not be the keys to success. So wait and see. I know a lot of people feel uneasy about um, open access to tourism and the frailties, shall we say, of the border testing system. But it is finding cases, and it's also finding that fewer people than perhaps feared are coming into the country infected, and that the most infection rate is happening within the country itself, between people who live here. Um, so I think most people are on the page at the moment of carrying on listening to and appreciating what the experts are saying and hopefully that continues in the long term because we see in other countries around the world where dissent comes up and people start disagreeing with the authorities that it can lead to a sort of chaotic situation we certainly don't want to see people out protesting on the streets against wearing masks or anything although my inkling of it at the moment is that we're more likely to see people out on the streets in Iceland protesting for the wearing of masks. <laughs> but wait and see about that either way. Very quickly, because uh, actually, as I feared, I have been talking rather jollily, rather merrily, because, you know, once I get on a roll. Um, so we will just finish up with the story of the president. It was a very interesting, very different ceremony that he was uh, signed, sworn into office with on the 1st of August. The one thing that was never in doubt with this was whether the ceremony would go ahead. It's kind of enshrined in the Constitution. The 1st of August, every four years, the president is sworn in, come rain or shine. Um, and that was not going to be stopped this time around by some silly little virus. But the 300 people that were going to be there in the in the room attending this, that certainly did change. Um, first of all, we were told it was going to be 90, uh, but that was even that was before the rules changed before the assembly limit came back down. And in the end, it was just a, a handful of people um, with diligently two-metre spaced chairs between them um, and, and people told to stay home. It's usually quite a festive gathering. People hang out the side, uh, sorry, gather, assemble outside Althingi on Oosterwutler and, and cheer the president. Him and the first lady come out on the balcony waving to the fans. The fans waving to the citizens, I should say. Uh, and that was, of course, cancelled. The the mass, the the blessing that happens in Domkirchen Cathedral, right next door, immediately beforehand, that was cancelled. Uh, the Bishop of Iceland did the same sort of thing, gave a, a blessing, a speech, but inside Althingi instead. And then the reception at Bessestadis in the evening, the cocktail party and whatever uh, for dignitaries, was cancelled. The very symbolic and important handshakes that are part of the swearing-in ceremony cancelled. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, Gurdnitiaho uh, Johansson is president for another four years. Uh, wait and see by the end of that time if the rules of his office have changed or not, because um, 
Parliament is is currently and the public as well discussing changing those rules and it may be a, a six-year presidential term next time. Who knows? Um, but in the meantime, congratulations to Grudny and to the continuing of Icelandic democracy. That's more than enough waffling from me, I think. Um, thank you for sticking with me during this very unusual, slightly, I hope at least, slightly shorter than usual show. Um, and also apologies for the sporadic service of late, uh, but the, the Week in Iceland will be back in two weeks' time. Again on the 24th of August. My thanks to Lydia Gretesdottir for running the studio. And remember, Ruf, sorry, and remember, The Week in Iceland is always available on ruv.is forward slash English, Ruv English on Facebook, through the Ruv app, and your favourite podcast podcast platform. <laughs> now, we finished today with a tongue-in-cheek opportunity for me, here all alone in the studio, uh, to play a song from one of my favourite Icelandic bands. This is Valdemar, and yes, you guessed it, the song is Eva Given. Bye for now.